If you take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, uh, Exodus chapter 2, I'm going to get there in just a few minutes. Uh, and I invite you to take the backside of your bulletin and to follow along in the notes that are there. We're going to conclude our series this weekend on the, uh, on the wild goose chase. We've been in this, uh, this is the fifth uh, week of this series. And uh, for those of you that may be brand new this weekend, uh, the Celtic Christians in the 5th and 6th century began to, they called, uh, they had a name for the Holy Spirit called Adon Gloss, which meant wild goose. And they said that the experience of the Holy Spirit was like a wild goose chase. It was not trackable. It wasn't tameable. It had an air of adventure and unpredictability. And it was, it was the exhilarating ride of a lifetime, basically. And so we've been, over the past five weeks, we've been encouraging you to open up the Bible to the book of Acts, begin to read the book of Acts for yourself and experience it. We've also been encouraging you to pick up a book called Wild Goose Chase, which was written by Mark Batterson. And some of the thoughts and ideas of this series have kind of come from that because it's just a fresh perspective on the Holy Spirit to kind of walk through. And tonight, I would invite you back again. If you have questions about this or you'd like to experience this because you never have uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at 6 o'clock in the student center, myself and the team uh, here at Life Church will be there. And basically, it's going to just be a, a time, a short time of teaching, probably about 20 minutes max. Then I'm going to do a Q&A time. Then I'm going to take a break because sometimes you just want to find, you say, man, I got some questions. I just like to ask some questions. And I don't know if I'm really ready for all of that, but I'd like to ask some questions here a little bit more. So come and be a part of that. Then we're going to take about a five, 10 minute break. And then we'll come back and the people that are there that say, you know, man, I've never encountered the Holy Spirit like that. And I'd like to then we're going to pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and God's just going to do a great work. And we do have free child care that will be in this building, so if you have children, you can drop them off and register them, and then come on down. And if you are planning on attending, just let us know at guest services so we can make sure that we've got room for you. Uh, and so that's kind of where we've been going with this series. Last week, we talked about the cages that we find ourselves in with the wild goose chase, that if we're not careful, we can cage the wild goose. And what we do a lot of times as Christ followers is that we put him in a cage, kind of clip his wings, so to speak, and then we let him fly out on the weekends to do what he's wanting to do in church and service because that's kind of where we keep God. Then we put him back up and we, and, and we just go on our way. But the power of the Holy Spirit and the reason why the Holy Spirit was given was not for a weekend service. It was given to work in our lives Monday through Friday, on Friday night and Saturday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Thursday in the midnight hour and, and Monday morning on your commute to work so that God's there. It's a direct connection to God. It's, it's a way to grow yourself in Christ. It's, it's a way to, to, to have wisdom and insight and knowledge and how to live and how to live this God life and how to have power in your life with Christ. And so last weekend we talked about three cages and today I'm going to end with three more cages that we can find ourselves in where we cage the Holy Spirit. And the question I asked you last week is the same question I want to ask you this weekend is this, what keeps you from the wild goose chase? What is keeping you from the wild goose chase? What cage is keeping you from the wild goose chase? What is it that you want to just kind of keep the Holy Spirit in here? What keeps you from opening the door and letting him fly and letting him do what he wants to do in your life? Well, the last three cages I want to deal with today, uh, and then we're going to wrap up this series, are going to help us with identifying some of those things. So today, the first cage I want to talk about is the cage of guilt. This is why people don't go on the wild goose chase. The cage of guilt. And there are two types of guilt. For the first type of guilt, this is all in your notes, is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin produces true guilt in your life. This is a holy and healthy reflex of the Holy Spirit. When you and I cross the sin line, when we do wrong, when we sin is, is basically doing anything that's against, that violates God's word. So if we do anything that violates God's word, 
especially as Christ followers, there's something that goes off inside of you that says, that's not right, man. That's wrong. I, I, and there is this guilt. And we've been taught sometimes to think, well, it's God that does that. No, 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 no. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us. But what, what produces that in your life is the sin itself. See, our sin condemns us, the Bible says. It's our sin. It's our own transgressions. It's our own mistakes. It's our own faults and our own failures that condemn us. It's not God that condemns us. It's our sin. It's when you and I make these mistakes and we cross these lines, and all of a sudden, that condemns us. Because God loved us while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. God loved us so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross for us that we wouldn't have to live this sin-soaked life, but that we could have life to the full. And so the reality is, is that there are times, though, in our life where we fail. There's times as Christ followers and before we come to Christ and after we come to Christ that we cross that sin line. And when we do, it's a holy and healthy reflex of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, hey, you've crossed the line here. Hey, you need to get this thing right with God. Hey, there is, there is something that's between you and God. You're building this wall between you and God and your heart's becoming calloused and you're not sensitive to the things of God. The second type of guilt that, that happens happens with confessed sin. Confess sin in your life. This produces a, what we call a false guilt. And this is forgiven sin that Satan uses to immobilize against you. This is where you've asked God to forgive you of sin. You've asked God to come into your heart and into your life. And, and you've asked God to cleanse you from sins and, and to wash your sins away. And he has, but yet that guilt keeps coming back. And those reminders keep coming back. And some of you are here today and you're going, some of you are here today and there's stuff that you need to get right with God today. And I could just stop the message right here, have the band come out, and you would get up from your seat and go, I just need to make some things right. You're going to have a chance to do that in just a minute, but you got to hold on for the whole sermon, all right? But then there's some of you that you've asked God to forgive you, and he has forgiven you. But, you're, but the enemy of your soul and my soul, the accuser of the brethren, as the Bible calls him, Satan himself, reminds you of your faults and your failures. He tries to remind you that you're just a big fat loser. He tries to remind you that, that you're not going to do anything. He tries to remind you every time you try to move forward, he tries to remind you of your past. And it's a sense of you've confessed that sin to God, yet you carry that around. And, and, and what it does is it cages up the Holy Spirit. So you don't do what God wants you to do. You just kind of shut the door because you say, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm, I'm not pure enough. And I got news for you. None of us are. I got news for you that all of us are, sin, are sinners. And, and all of us are recipients of God's grace. And all of us, Paul says, I wish that you wouldn't. But if you do, please know that when you sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I want you just to listen just for a second on scriptures on forgiveness. They're in your notes and they're going to be on the screen, but I don't want you to flip there. I just want you to listen to what God's word says. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, talking about Jesus, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That word grace means unmerited favor. It's a favor of God that you didn't earn that you don't deserve. Colossians 1.14 says, in whom we have the redemption of forgiveness of sins. Romans 3.24 says, we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isaiah 53, verse 25, or 43, verse 25 says, I, this is God speaking, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. So when you ask God to forgive you, he forgives you. Not only does he forgive you, he forgets. Talk about that in just a second. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
You can go your entire lifetime and go east and you're never going to meet west. Or you can go your entire lifetime and go west and you're never going to meet east. It never connects. And God says that when I forgive you of your sins, it is gone. It is gone. I don't remember it. And that's the reason why I say God doesn't condemn. You're, you're condemned. Your sin is what's condemning you. It's not God. And, 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 and when, when you've confessed your sins unto God and God has forgiven you and they're gone and you have that guilt, that's not of God. That's of the enemy. And so if you are feeling guilty over sin that you've committed, that you've asked God to forgive you for, understand one thing. That's not God. That's not even holy. That's the enemy of your soul. That's Satan, who the Bible says, John chapter 10, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So how do you unlock the cage of, of, of this uh, guilt in your life? It's in your notes. You ask for forgiveness and you accept God's grace. You ask for forgiveness and you accept God's grace. And you go, man, that's just way simple. Yeah, way. It's way simple. You ask for forgiveness. You simply go to God and say, God, I am a sinner. Lord, forgive me for this. God, I ask you to come into my heart and come into my life and change me from the inside out. And boom, instantaneously, in that moment, in that instance, God takes you and makes you as pure as a driven snow as though you had never sinned. And you go, but that's beyond me. That's right. We talked about that at the very beginning of the series. We don't want a God... I don't want a God that has the ability to do the same things I can do. I want a God that puts the super on my natural. I See, I live in the natural. I struggle with the natural. I'm just like you. I, I, I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. But when God comes in, he puts his super on my natural, and he does things that are beyond me. What? It's according to his word. It's not according to my experience, but according to his word. And the reality is, is that if I will ask him to forgive me, he will. Period. And if you're here today and you go, man, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or I used to, but I'm far away from that. If you just simply ask the Lord to forgive you, he will forgive you and take your sins and blot them out as though they never have happened. And if you're here today and you have guilt over previous sin that you have confessed and given to God, you need to go to Lowe's, get a ladder and get over it because God's forgotten it. Some of you go, I just think that's just really, really harsh. No, I just think we need to get a battle reality. You keep rehashing it up. You keep bringing it up. It's like acid reflux in your life. You keep bringing it up. God doesn't remember it. Do you get that? Do you know how freeing that is to know that when I confess my sins to God, he is faithful and just every single time to forgive me? Wow, that's why we love to sing that song, Amazing Grace, because it is amazing. It's stinking amazing, man, that God can take me and my depths of my sin and all of my junk and can wash me pure as though I'd never done anything. I can't do that. You can't do that. And you know the reason why you're living under that guilt of confessed sin is because you think God's just like you. And I just got news for you. He's a little bit higher than you are because you don't have the ability to forget. Remember, first time, shame on, me, on you. Second time, shame on me. John may cross me the first time, but he won't cross me again. I'll build up a wall. I will not be vulnerable in that area again. I won't let John come in. John's a great guy. I'm just picking on him. But I won't let him come in and do that to me again. That's what we do to people. Why? Because we have the ability to, I can forgive John, but I'm never going to forget what he did to me. I can forgive Dave, but I'm never going to forget what he did to me. I can forgive Sherry, but I'm never going to forget what she did to me. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't play those games that we play. 
He says, look, when you call on me and you ask me to forgive you, boom, I forgive you. You don't, listen, you don't need the church to absolve your sins. You don't need a pastor to absolve your sins. You don't need a priest, a prophet, or a king to tell you you're okay. God says you are free. For those that the son has set free, being Christ, they're free indeed. That the law of sin and death has passed. Why? Because you've invited the grace of God to come into your life and it washes you pure and holy, period. So you keep bringing up your past and your failures. God goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I think sometimes God sits around heaven and goes, Jesus, can you help me with this? You were on the planet for a lot longer than, than they let me on because they blew it up pretty quick. And, and so what's the deal? And he goes, well, they have this default saying that they can't forget, but you have the ability to, ah, oh, that's right. So they keep running around like a hamster in a cage. And the enemy of your soul wants you to do that. You know why? Because he can immobilize you. Because some of you have great gifts in your life, great things God wants to use you for, but you can't forgive yourself from the past. Some of you, there are great things God wants to do in your life, but you just don't feel like you're worthy enough or you're holy enough or you're pure enough. And I get, and I'm just going to tell you, you're never going to be. I'm never going to be. It cracks me up when people go, well, I'm going to come to church when I get things right in my life. When I get cleaned up enough, I'm gonna, when I get up to that level, what level are you talking about? What are you, what are you on? I mean, th there is no level. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. None of us are any better than any other one. You understand that, don't you? We all have feet of clay. And so what I'm telling you is, is that the Holy Spirit wants to set you free today from the guilt of unconfessed sin and from the guilt of sin, of confessed sin in your life, so that you're free. The second thing that I, I want to say today, the second is, is that the cage of failure. The cage of failure. I see a lot of Christians that deal with this. And here's two statements I want to make. Number one, sometimes our plans have to fail in order for God's plans to succeed. Sometimes our plans have to fail in order for God's plans to succeed. Do you realize that before a seed can, can bring a harvest, it has to go into the ground and die first and then it's resurrected? For Christ to do what he needed to do to save us from our sins, he had to first die and then become resurrected. In order for you and I to accomplish the things that God's put in your heart and my heart to do, sometimes our plans have to die in order for God's plans to be, plans to be resurrected in our life. And the second statement I want to make is that divine detours and delays are many times God's way of getting us to where he wants us to go. Divine detours and delays are many times God's way of getting us to where he wants us to go. We have this idea that if we do the perfect will of God, it's going to be easy. Far from the truth. That if I just do what God wants me to do, it's always going to fall into place. Far from the truth. Look at the missionary journeys of Paul. Dude, he had no, no systematic plan in which he was working with. I think God wants us to go over here. So we go over here. Oh, they're shipwrecked. Well, apparently he didn't want us to go over here. He wants to go over here. They went there. They got stoned and driv driven out of the city. Oh, God didn't want us here. He wants us to go over here. I mean, you really, that's, that's how much planning he had going on. But yet, he evangelized most of the known world. He put missionary journeys on the map. And Paul's doing all these great things for God. And then all of a sudden, he's in prison, thrown into a Roman jail, this dungeon where he was ankle deep into, into human waste and sewage. And there he writes most of the New Testament that you and I read. And had his plans for world globalization and evangelization, had they not come to a failure from his own eyes, he being in prison, we would not have the Bible that we have today. It's amazing how... His plans didn't go quite the way they, he wanted them to go, but they went exactly the way God wanted them to go. 
You see, that happens in all of our lives. I remember early on in ministry for Tammy and I, I remember I graduated Bible college and I was one of these kids, man, I loved God all through high school. I started a Bible club when I was in the seventh grade, won 35 of my friends to the Lord, had about 85 kids every, every Monday morning, Partners for Christ at 7.15 in the morning, had a Bible study. Uh, in seventh grade, because my youth pastor said I could do it. I was that kid. And, and then when I got into high school, it was like, man, I dated these different girls and their parents loved me because I was always the good Christian boy that was going to treat their daughter right. So life was good. I went into Bible college. Everything was good. Met and married Tammy. Everything was getting great. It was all good. Life was just great. And I, didn't raise, I wasn't raised in a minister's home. So Tammy's dad and my dad both worked for General Electric, and that was kind of our lives. And, it's, we, and so two different cities, two different states. But anyhow... So I go into my first youth pastorate thinking I'm going to change the world. Serious. I mean, I I thought I was, give me three years, I'll be Billy Graham. I mean, this, we're going to make this happen. Ron Luce, the choir of the fire, right here it is, baby. Just keep all all the coliseums open because we are fixing to turn it on. It's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Am I lying? I wish I was, but I was so full of me. It was so funny. But anyhow, so... There's some other stories I could tell that I won't tell. And I go to the, my first youth pastor. Man, I'm turning it on. I mean, we're going after this church and, 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 and doing it. And all of a sudden, I realized that not everybody likes Aaron. That was a sad reality for me. <laughs> and you laugh because you've discovered the same truth about yourself. And that youth pastor wound up that I had moved to that city and got an apartment and Tammy and I were engaged to be married and everything. I thought, this is where God has me. We're going to world crusade and going to just camps and going to change the world. I wound up leaving after six months. Never made it to my resume. It was a summer internship on the resume, right? Because that was a big failure. And I go to the second place. It was a bigger place, a nicer place, much more progressive place. And, and boom, went there. And Tammy and I were married. And it was like two years of hell. It was like everything that could go wrong went wrong. I mean, we were adjusting to being married. She was five hours away in a new state, which I don't understand why everybody doesn't just love Arkansas. But anyhow, and so we're in this new state and everything's going on. And I mean, it was just like, and I remember after two years of being in that experience, sitting in the U-Haul truck on our way to place number three, looking at my wife and going, do we even have this in us? Are we even called I mean, everything, I mean, it just was an utter shift, sifting in my life because what, what was happening was there were these delays and these detours and nothing was going right and not, none of my plans were working. And I was coming, God was bringing me to the end of myself. And I remember looking at her and saying, do you think we have this? And she looked at me and here's what she said. And I wish she would have said, yes, my son, you have this, right? That's what I'm looking for. Ben, you know what I'm talking about. I was like... Build up your man now, baby. Come on. I, I, daddy, daddy needs some love right now, right? And she looked at me. She said, I don't know. I don't know. And I said, I don't know either. So Tammy and I and our 80-pound Labrador retriever moved to the next town. And I'm telling you, I wanted, and I, and I told her, I said, I don't know, but I tell you this, I'm gonna try this one more time. If this doesn't work, I'm going into business. I'm gonna make all the money I can make. I'll give it to missionaries and give it to the ministry and I, I'll be a good, good like businessman in the church, but I am not living my life like this. And I came to the utter end of Aaron Cole World Outreach Ministries. 
And I wish I, that wasn't the case, but I'm just telling you, it was. And what happens is, is that many times in our life, our plans have to fail for God's plans to succeed. And many times in our life, we have to come to the end of ourselves and we have to understand that there are divine delays and detours in our life. And we cannot wig out over it, but we've got to submit ourselves and drop ourselves to God. And the key to this is decide to live life, palms up. The key to unlock the, this cage of, of failure is to decide to live life, palms up. To say, God, it's yours, whatever you want. You want me to be successful and effective in the world's eyes? So be it. You want me to be an utter failure in the world's eyes? If that's what will bring you glory, so be it. You want this plan to succeed? So be it. You want this to succeed? So be it. God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I will be whatever you want me to be. Exodus chapter 2, we find Moses in a very similar position because Moses has been raised in the house of Pharaoh as a Hebrew. He comes of age and he realizes that he's not of the Egyptian lineage, but he's of the Hebrew lineage. So he goes to find his people. And on his journey of finding himself and finding his people, he finds that they are being mistreated and, and, and ill-taken because they were taken over into captivity by the Egyptians and they're the slaves of the Egyptians. And Moses has this bright idea that he's going to fix it, that he's got this plan of how he's going to leverage his upbringing in, in Pharaoh's house and all of his education and all of his his political influence, and he's going to change things. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, verse 12, glancing this way and that, seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian, this is Moses, and hit him in the sand. Verse 13, the next day he went out and he saw the two brothers fighting, two Hebrew brothers fighting. You've got to realize, he thinks he is now becoming the champion of these people. He's going, to take, he's going to take on the Egyptians one person at a time. And he asked, asked the, the one the wrong, who, who wronged you? And he said, why are you hitting your, your, your fellow Hebrew? Verse 14, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And Pharaoh heard of this, verse 15, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Now, let me give you a little insight about Midian. Midian was a backside of the desert. Nobody, the, tourism and development was not real high in Midian. Now, people weren't like going there for vacations and, and taking the family. Let's go to Midian for the weekend. We're going to have a two-week vacation in Midian. Have you eaten at the Midian, at the Midian Steakhouse? Nobody was going there. This was the backside of the desert. He went from being raised in the house of Pharaoh in this palatial mansion and having everything that he wanted in life to being on the backside of the desert. He was so, he had so failed in his own eyes, he decided, you know what, I can never go back. So he marries a Midianite and he begins to have a family there. And for 40 years, he stays and he just reduces himself just to being a shepherd out in these hillsides of Midian, just being thankful that he got out of Egypt alive. Not realizing that God was gonna bring him back and the thing that had started in him, see what he wanted to do was set the people free. But he started doing it his own way. And God said, no, 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 you got to come to the end of yourself and to the end of your plans. And God, in those 40 years in the desert, began to create and cultivate the character of a man that would go back and would absolutely do what he intended to do 40 years before. 
See, many times we get caught and we, and we, we, we go, well, I just, man, you don't understand. I just got to keep the Holy Spirit caged up because I just can't afford to fail. I, I just can't, can't fail one more time. I, you just don't understand. I just, I just don't have it in me to fail one more time. And, and you just don't understand, man, I just, I, I've made mistakes and I failed and I've got just a failed, flawed past and, and I just don't know. And I, I mean, I'm just, I'm beating my head against the wall. I thought God wanted me to do this and this and nothing's working out right and nothing's happening right. And, and why is this tanking and why is this idea not going? I'll tell you why. Because God's bringing you to the end of yourself. I'll tell you why. Because God's wanting you to trust him. I'll tell you why. Because his ways are higher than our ways. I'll tell you why. Because the only time God gets glory is when things are done in such a way that everybody goes, that must have been God. That must have been God. You know one of the reasons why Life Church is so blessed? is because our beginnings were so humbling. And because our beginnings were so humbling and nobody thought we would not last, God goes, ah, there's a place I can use. That's why God specializes in using ordinary people. That's why God, God takes people and he takes them from, from, to the pit all, all the way to the dungeon, to, to the prison before he ever brings them into the palace because God wants you to understand first and foremost that he's God and he won't share his glory with anybody. But secondly, the things he's put in your heart are not just there to frustrate you. They're not there to lead you from failure to failure. He wants you to come to the end of yourself and understand even in those failures, you, you can fail forward and in doing so, you're gonna create the character and the, and, and, and the God-shaped life in, in you that God can use to take you where he wants you to go. You see, I look back on those beginning years in ministry and I realized God was teaching me some very vital lessons. I needed my spiritual pride knocked out of me. I needed my, ke- my teeth kicked in. I needed some lessons and some reality. I needed, I needed all of that. And I've seen friends of mine in the ministry because I realized in the ministry, same way it is in life, you go through times of sifting. Much rather do it on the front end than midlife. I'm telling you, because I've got friends that now that are my age that are going through similar situations and they never had experienced that. And I remember sitting there going, ah, this isn't fair. What's happening with this guy? He just got this. He just did this. He's just speaking here. He just, he's going, he's doing, these guys are living the life that I want to live. And God, I've given you my whole life. And you know how we had those spiritual pity parties? Oh God, look what I've done for you. Don't look at me so sanctimonious. We've all done that. Like we've really made sacrifices. And what God's doing is saying, look, your failure isn't final. Open up the cage and allow the Holy Spirit to take you where I want you to go. And don't allow failure to define you. Don't allow failure to keep you. Don't allow failure to immobilize you. Just live life palms up. Now, the last cage I want to talk to you today rolls very much hand in hand with the cage of failure. And that's called the cage of fear. Because many times we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in our life because we're fearful. Statement that's in your notes that I think is great, and I'm going to harp on this just for a second, and we're going to be done. And that is this, that um, the will of God is not an insurance plan, but a daring plan. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's it's, It's a daring plan. I need you to hear what I'm going to say, especially those of you that are kicking tires on this thing called faith in Christ. If you want to be a Christian because you think it's safe and predictable, wrong answer. If you want to be a Christ follower because you think it's an easy street, wrong answer. If you want to serve God because you think, wow, this is the way that I can be healthy, wealthy, and wise, wrong answer. We're not guaranteed any of that. Do you realize in the last 24 hours on this planet, there have been men and women that have died brutal deaths for one reason, because they're a Christ follower. In the last couple of weeks, I've received an email kind of get these emails uh, from, uh, and, uh, from missionaries and from things that are kind of on secure email lines. 
of, uh, we had a, a general superintendent of a country and, uh, in Africa that uh, 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 basically he, his entire family, and everyone connected to him were killed, massacred because of uh, the fact that he was a, a pastor, a preacher, and a Christ follower. And there was a young missionary couple that Tammy and I met and we know. They're our age, with kids our age, that ran the country. And they had to smuggle them out in the middle of the night to, in order to save their lives because they were coming to kill them. See, this gospel that we have, the grace of God may be free, but the cost, it's daring. It's not an insurance plan. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak-minded. It's not for, well, I, you know, I'm just looking for a great place that's got good worship music. Really? Well, I just wanted a place that's just good for the kids. Really? I'm glad you have that consumer mindset. This isn't pick and save. Seriously. The, 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 the Church of Jesus Christ isn't, isn't a Walmart supercenter where I can, you know, I just need a half a pound of grace and I need a little bit of mercy over here. And, and, and what about something for the kids? Because we in America, we have this blessing called religious freedoms that we have the ability in this great country to live and to worship God with freedom of expression. And the biggest thing that you fear and the biggest thing that I fear is that they may not accept us in the neighborhood club anymore because we're Jesus freaks. Or, oh, I just don't know if, if I can let people know if I have a Bible on my desk at work, what, what are they going to say? Is it going to cost me the promo promotion? Um, people are giving their lives for this book. It wasn't too long ago in the nation of Russia that this book was banned. And when it opened and the Berlin Wall fell and communism fell, we got in with boatloads after boatloads of books called the Bible that revolutionized their life. There are people today that smuggle this word into the country of China and there are people that believe the exact same Christ and are following the exact same wild goose that you and I are that have to do so in secrecy because they will be imprisoned. There are countries in Southeast Asia that you can't even be an Assemblies of God credentialed minister unless you've been imprisoned for your faith. That's pretty much unelectable in this country. If I've been to jail, just want you to know I'm a convicted felon. You know, I'm not. But people are going, whoa, whoa, what's going on? My, my, my point is, is let's get real about this. Who are we afraid of? Who are we scared of? We have religious freedoms, and your life isn't going isn't to be on the line in a physical sense for you to stand for Christ, at least not today. But do you live in fear? And really, when you look at the fear that you and I face and the fear that the world faces, they're facing fear of their lives. The men and women who wrote the New Testament uh, under, the, under, under the, the anointing of God were people who literally died because of their faith in Christ. Do you realize that the only disciple that died a natural death was John who wrote the book of Revelation and they tried to boil him in oil but he would not boil? Imagine that experience. All because he was a Christ follower because he'd been with Jesus. And so they banned him to the Isle of Patmos to die. And there he gets a he gets the, he sees the vision of Revelation and writes the book of Revelation. You see, the key to unlock the cage of fear, it's in your notes, is what I call smart courage. Not stupid courage. Stupid courage is going to just doing a bunch of stupid things and asking God to bless it. And God doesn't bless stupid. But smart courage. Here's what we're talking about. It, it's courage that counts the cost. 
It assesses the risk and the reward ratios. It practices due diligence. It's not mindless, but it's mindful. It does the right thing regardless of the circumstances. And I'm here to tell you that some of you are paralyzed in your own life with this thing on the Holy Spirit because of fear. Because, oh, it's beyond me. Oh, it's beyond me. Oh, I don't know. What will people think? And Here's what the Bible says about fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So every single time you feel fear, it's not of God. You want to know where the fear is of God? It's not of God. Let's keep reading on. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 says, God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. And herein, our love is made perfect that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, confidence when, when we stand before God, because that he is in us so that we are in this world. And there is no fear in love. There is no fear in God. But perfect love casts out all fear because fear has torment. That's the reason why God doesn't deal with fear. Fear will torment you. It will paralyze you. But he that fears is not made perfect in love. The only thing we're taught to fear is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all, of all knowledge or, or, or of all wisdom. The only person you and I are to fear is God himself. Do you know how freeing that is? Do you know how you can like sleep at night and eat healthy? Now, I'm not talking about like healthy, like granola. I mean like good, right? You can eat, you can live, you can go. Because I don't fear, man. I don't fear you. I don't fear the, the politics. I don't fear, oh, the sky is falling. Why are you going to fear that? The Bible says that any amount of anxiety and angst in that is not from God. But we fear only God and only him. Why him? Because he's the only one that has the ability to save your life. He's the only one that has the ability to redeem your life. Paul says, look, man, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Father. We're all going to die. Good morning. I know that's really what you wanted to hear today. We're all going to face die. The Bible says that, that, that we will face death and then the judgment. It's a point that a man wants to die. We're all going to come. Unless we go by way of the rapture, which is possible, we're going to die. So don't, don't fear death. Why? Because well, you know what's on the other side. What's on the other side is a life without struggle and a life without pain and a life without grief and a life without sorrow and a life without, wow, that's what I want. And the assurance of Jesus Christ this side through the wild goose is that you and I can have life and life to the full. So what's there to fear? Nothing. Just remember, there's an enemy of your soul and my soul that's just going around trying to sow that fear into your life. And every time you feel that fear that wants to paralyze you, go back to what God's word says and says, God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. That God, that God is love and that in love, there is no fear because perfect love casts out all fear. And I'm to fear no one except for God himself. Wow, that's liberating. That will set you free. So here's what I want to do. The band's going to come and they're going to make their way.